This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss with Dr. David Troxel, medical director and board secretary of the Doctors' Company, as well as clinical professor emeritus, School of Public Health at UC Berkeley, safety risks and harm associated with the use of electronic health records, or EHRs. Dr. Troxel, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Dr. Troxel's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. I'll note here, however, the doctor's company is a physician-owned medical malpractice insurer. Briefly on background, slow in adopting the use of electronic records, in 2009, the Congress passed the HITECH Act that in part provided $30 billion in financial incentives to encourage hospitals and physician practices to adopt the use of EHRs. The incentives proved successful. For example, pre-HITECH, the annual EHR adoption rate was 3.2% after the law was passed. The adoption rate more than quadrupled to 14.2%. While in theory the adoption and use of EHRs makes perfect sense, in practice it is presented, as a 2015 RAND study termed it, quote-unquote, EHR-induced distress. I should also note in 2015, Robert Walker published a volume, The Digital Doctor, Hope, Hype, and Harm at the Dawn of Medicine's Computer Age. For numerous reasons, EHRs can and do pose a danger to patient safety, especially when IT is not properly in implemented excuse me, or not considered a part of a larger socio-technical system. Digital tools can simply serve to swap one mistake or set of mistakes for another. With me again to discuss the safety risk and harm associated with EHRs is Dr. David Troxel. So with that as background or introduction, Dr. Troxel, I open by noting the medical industry was comparatively late or comparatively lagged in adopting electronic records. Why do you think this was? Well, I think largely it was because most physicians in practice really had not had a significant exposure to the electronic health record at that time in 2009. They were relatively narrowly used either in large integrated health care delivery systems such as Kaiser or in other large referral type uh, medical institutions and hospitals like, uh, you know, the Mayo Clinic and Geisinger Clinic and Cleveland Clinic. And uh, so, so it really wasn't widely uh, available. And furthermore, uh, most hospitals in, in the community, while they may have wanted the electronic health record, which is where the doctors probably would first have been exposed, uh, couldn't afford to buy them because the implementation costs are well over $100 million dollars. And that's, uh, that level of capital simply wasn't available in very many uh, hospitals. So it's really, I think, a lack of exposure and a lack of cost, and that's why the adoption of electronic health record came on so rapidly after the HITECH Act funded it, essentially, with uh, you know billions of dollars. Okay, thank you. So just to be clear, 
Is it your understanding that the average price for a hospital uh, or a hospital network to adopt an EHR system is is that figure $100 million? Yes. Actually, it's not uncommon uh, to be well over that amount. Okay, thank you. So let's get into uh, EHR specifically. What are the more common EHR design flaws that contribute to errors, or what kind of errors do they cause? Well, and as you noticed in the, in the study, uh, we divided the errors into two categories, uh, those that were uh, user errors, physician errors, for example, and those that were system errors, implying that something uh, was either wrong with or was not functioning correctly with the uh, electronic health record itself. And uh, I thought it would be useful just to summarize uh, very briefly that uh, four of those factors, because in fact, uh, just four out of multiple factors accounted for over half of all of the electronic health record uh, related claims that we saw. And the, the first of them, uh, which accounted for 15% of the user uh, errors, uh, was a problem of converting from a paper record to an electronic health record. Often the error was that not all of the data in the paper record uh, was transferred into the electronic health record, or it was transferred into the inappropriate section of the electronic health record and the doctor didn't even know it was missing because it wasn't stored where he was trained to look for it. And that accounted, as I said, for was the number one error that we encountered. That error hopefully will be going away now as, as most paper records have been converted at this point. And I don't expect to see that error uh, as prevalent in the future. The, the second most common problem was also a user error and it accounted for 14% of, of all the claims. And that was one that I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, so-called copying and pasting. Uh, we, all of us as computer users and all of us as uh, word users copy and paste probably on a daily basis. So it's no surprise that physicians, when they are using the electronic health record, especially under time pressures, do exactly the same thing. And the question might arise, why uh, is that a problem, or how could that, uh, in fact, uh, contribute to a problem? And the answer is that while copying and pasting, for example, a, uh, a, a medical history into a new progress note, it's probably okay because the medical history doesn't change. Copying and pasting the physical examination or the current clinical status of the patient or of an ongoing illness is risky because, precisely because it does change. And we now know that, in fact, well over 80% of all progress notes in the electronic health record are generated by copying and pasting. As a consequence, what happens is the progress notes become bulkier and bulkier and longer and longer until a significant new piece of information that's entered is totally obscured and often not picked up on. And furthermore, any kind of an error that results from copying and pasting uh, will continue into the uh, future in, in an electronic system. So it's very hard to know <clears throat> as a user where everything you copy and paste is 
is put within the record itself, and even though you may pick up an error in one place and correct it, it may still exist uh, in another place. And that's an ongoing problem, and one that I would think uh, could and should be easily correctable merely by make, by putting limitations electronically into the system that, that uh, either block it at some point or only permit so many uh, copy-and-paste episodes. And a related problem to that is so-called pre-populating fields, where uh, you know, you instead of, instead of the doctor having to enter everything in the history and physical, once he clicks history and physical, the, some computers will automatically put everything from a prior history and physical into that as if it's the current one. And the doctor has to remember to go and double-check it and correct anything that is no longer current. That's a very common uh, problem. The, the other two problems are actually system problems. Uh, the third one, which is a system problem and accounted for 12% of all of the uh, claims we encountered, is, is referred to as EHR fragmentation, and that doesn't refer to throwing the EHR on the floor and breaking it. Uh, it refers to the fact that different components of a single patient encounter may not be located together, and this is a common problem. For example, you see the patient, you do history and physical, you uh, write down what you think is going on. Uh, you order an X-ray, perhaps. You order laboratory tests. And uh, in the old written record, you would expect to go and find them in one place, or if you didn't, you knew where to find them. So you could go and say, oh, here's the history and physical. Here's what I thought was going on. Here's the labs. Here's the X-rays. Many, ex many of the electronic health records don't put all that information in one place. And so you have to go to different places to find the laboratory results and the x-ray results and the history and physical. And this often results in important results being overlooked or, uh, or can't be found. Another, and, and the fourth one I'll mention, which is about also 12% of all the errors, and again is a system error, is so-called uh, uh, errors related to uh, technology or design. For, for example, the uh, medication formulary where all the drugs that are, are available in that particular institution are listed as well as the appropriate dosages may not be up to date or there may be in entry errors put into that uh, inadvertently that the physician has no control over or no knowledge of. Uh, the same thing is, is or, or users, for example, uh, and we've seen several claims here where the user uh, had taken the, uh, the training to use the electronic health record, but they hadn't yet been entered into the electronic health record as a bona fide user. So when they needed to use it, they couldn't get into it. It's things of this nature. Okay, thank you. Per your uh, first uh, conversion, I'll just note um, very familiar uh, relative to transferring paper records or digitizing paper records. My family had a member whose cardiologist did not transfer his records completely. That led to his pacemaker battery failing. That led to him developing stroke-like symptoms. Four months later, uh, he sadly died. So that's by way of example. So you, you just described uh, what um, types of uh, failures or errors there are. Let me go to the why uh, we have uh, what we have. 
there's a, a great deal of literature on this. I'm sure you're well aware, explaining. Uh, some uh, argue that uh, the federal government has played a minimum role um, uh, in enforcing or creating and enforcing universal standards. Uh, sometimes you see the phrase regulatory free zone. Uh, oftentimes you read an explanation that physicians have played a minimum role in the initial design or the continuing uh, redesign of EHRs and other reasons uh, have been given. What's, what's your general sense of what are the primary reasons uh, why um, we've been struggling with implementing these in a way that we can avoid uh, uh, harm and error? Well, I, I, I think, uh, <clears throat> this is personal opinion, but I think it's fairly widely shared. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, problems related to the adoption of the electronic health record could have been and should have been avoided uh, if the federal government initially had developed, taken the role of developing vendor standards that all EHRs had to comply with. Mm -hmm. Uh, and simple things like interoperability would be one of them, so that EHRs could transfer information between one another. It's, it's still to this day very few of them can, and many of your listeners may be surprised to know that. And then actually taking uh, mock-ups out into the healthcare environment and tried them up, you know, done beta testing, corrected the problems, and taken basically the role of setting out a standard, which then could have been sent out to the private sector and said, have at it. Each of you develop your own electronic health record and compete with one another, but they all have to meet these 50 different fundamental capabilities. If, if they had done that, I think the electronic health record would have been off on the right step and physicians wouldn't have actually had to go through not only the unpleasant learning experience, but the considerable expense, even with the financial aid from the government, to use a system that didn't work well. And it did, it did not work well. It's working better now than it did, but it didn't work very well at all initially. And your listeners may also be surprised to know that Physicians played almost no role in the initial design of the health, electronic health record. In fact, the electronic health record for most of the vendors was simply a modification of uh, electronic systems that were used for billing in medicine, not for patient care or for patient uh, encounters. Um, the other thing I guess I would like to comment on is that the fundamental reason that the government uh, put together the, the High-Tech Act in 2009 wasn't primarily to advance the practice of good medicine. It was primarily to uh, make, make it possible for the government subsequently to move away from fee-for-service payment medicine to pay for performance uh, medicine. And that is very much underway today, but it couldn't have happened without an electronic record because there's no way that the government or any other third party would be able to monitor quality outcomes, for example, or the extent to which a physician met basic standards uh, if they had to go through a written record. They could do it, obviously, much more easily in an electronic format. Okay, thank you. Uh, on the interoperability, th that... Uh, is exactly uh, 
correct, in 97, this was debated at the FDA where the industry argued against uh, the federal government creating and enforcing universal standards. They said such that interoperability would be more insured. Uh, the industry argued that imposing such standards would frustrate uh, the development of these records. So that, uh, looking back, that argument won but created all sorts of uh, problems. Per your reference of uh, high-tech funding such that we can move towards away from fee-for-service to pay-for-value, let me, let me note uh, the report you cited uh, that your organization, the doctor's company, did produce, and it's titled Electronic Health Record Closed Claims Study and Expert Analysis of Medical Malpractice Allegations. Let me go to um, an IOM report that recognized this problem in 2011. It was titled Health IT and Patient Safety, Building a Safer System for Better Care. And in that report, the IOM recommended uh, the government create an agency that would investigate safety-related HIT in 2015, or more recently, the Office of the National Coordinator for HIT, ONCHIT, as it's termed, developed a plan to create a health IT safety center. And that same year, 35 medical associations sent a letter to the ONC a warning or encouraging the creation of such a safety center because EHRs were raising serious patient safety concerns. My question is, what's happened to this IOM recommendation now dated back uh, six years? Well, the rumor on the street is, and it's all I've read it in the press as well, is that it has very much to do with the funding that's been cut back um, over the last three, each of the last uh, three years. And uh, I think that uh, I think that's probably the case, mainly because I've heard it from so many different sources uh, over the last year. I must say, though, that I, I was actually on the committee uh, that uh, made the recommendations uh, in uh, uh, 2015 to uh, go ahead and uh, show, create a roadmap, actually, for uh, ONC, for ONC, on how to uh, uh, develop and create a plan for this health IT patient safety center. At that time, uh, at the time we, we met by phone to do that, uh, there was no, as I recall, there was no uh, target date for that to happen, nor was there a firm commitment uh, by ONC even to do so. They subcontracted with a, uh, a, a research group they commonly work with, to tell them how to do it in broad outline so that when they were able to do so, whether it was by inclination or by uh, uh, appropriate funding from Congress, they would uh, be prepared to move ahead. Um, another uh, one, one interesting comment I would make, now the, the people on that committee in, included probably there were probably 30, close to 30 people, and they were largely people who had written about the electronic health record, either uh, extolling its virtues or, uh, or or trying to share some of the uh, the weaknesses or some or point out some of the uh, uh, the risk. The, the 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 strong sentiment initially was that in order to create this safety center for the for the purpose of 
creating a reporting system that users could use when they encountered a problem. We all thought, well, that should really be a, a system that is, is uh, online, basically, so that the user, when they encounter a program, can go on the Internet, click that website, and have a very short, you know, four-line uh, uh, report form they could fill out and date saying, this is what happened, this was the system, and this, is, this was uh, the consequence. Um, but that was ruled out by Ock on the second, first and second day we met. They just said, no, we've been, uh, uh, Ock had said, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. And uh, several of us, myself included, uh, were uh, shocked and really, uh, you know, made uh, quite an effort to uh, get a change in the mindset on that, which we were unsuccessful with. And the decision, as I recall, was was made by ARC that the way they would get this data is out of the patient safety organizations, which are you know, many at the hospital level, which I think, frankly, will be uh, inefficient because a lot of them uh, aren't functioning well or are, don't have their data readily available. So I, I'm not sure how good the system is going to be. In fact, I suspect by the time it is implemented, if it's ever implemented, it probably isn't going to come up with a whole lot of new data that isn't already known from reports like mine and from many others. Okay, thank you. So I have two uh, closeout questions. One is your firm, again, uh, the doctor's uh, company, as I noted, um, is a physician-owned medical malpractice insurer. What are you seeing from sitting in that position or from that work? What are you seeing relative to uh, number of claims, do you have a sense that uh, now that we've been at this for a couple of decades that uh, just by sheer uh, practice and trial and error uh, we'll see records become, uh, standards in records become more uniform, we'll see incremental, continuing incremental improvements and we can have greater assurance that EHRs will be Increasingly safe. What? How optimistic or not are you? Well, I'm I'm quite optimistic that uh, first place. I, I I while I focus on the errors, uh, that's part of my job. I'm I'm very optimistic, as is the doctors' company, that in the long run, electronic health records are a huge benefit and are going to vastly improve the quality of medicine. Um, I would go on to say, though, that it, uh, it, it, the, the electronic health record that we're currently using is really uh, uh, almost just a digitization of the old written record. It doesn't take advantage of things that are being designed now, but such as you know, fundamentally redesigning the electronic health record so that its workflow model actually fits with the workflow that doctors use uh, either in their offices or in their hospitals. That seems like a fundamental thing, but it really never occurred. Um, standardized protocols are, are going to have to be developed and are, in fact, being developed. Um, early research using on, on artificial intelligence is underway. I think both, uh, I think Google, in fact, has a, 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 a very interested in this area. And the use of uh, so-called big data techniques, which will allow uh, computer searches to go through and look at 
thousands of healthcare records and pick up uh, trends and common points that are missed uh, by uh, those that are reviewed uh, individually. That's all uh, very much underway. The other, the other point I would make uh, is that I am quite uh, relieved that the increase in EHR-related claims seems to be pretty stable. For example, in our first study, uh, which went from 2007 to middle of 2015, I believe it was, the uh, it only 0.9%, a little less than 1% of all claims had an electronic health record uh, uh, contributing factor. And I might, might mention at this point, the EHR is seldom the cause of the adverse event that results in the claim. It usually contributes to it. So we put, repeated the study going from uh, uh, you know July of 2014, mid-2014, through December of last year. And that percent had only gone from 0.9 to 1.6%. So it increased, but I think that it's probably not a statistically significant increase because over that period of time, many, many more practices adopted the electronic health record, and therefore there would be many, many more opportunities to have EHR-related errors contribute to a claim, and yet it was just a modest, actually a slight increase. So I, the takeaway to me is that uh, this slight increase, which probably isn't significant, uh, is reassuring uh, because the, the, the number of EHR-related claims is uh, quite small, and it hasn't increased much over a 10-year time frame. It's increased, but probably, again, not statistically significantly. Okay, thank you. My, my final question is fairly obvious. What advice would you offer patients in trying to improve or ensure the safety of the use of their electronic health record? Well, I think there's three things I would call to their attention. One is uh, I would encourage them uh, to use the, uh, the patient portal for the electronic health record, which is available both in uh, office visits and in hospital uh, visits or hospitalizations, and review their record for its accuracy. Uh, most patients today uh, go on the Internet, are able to uh, get the uh, get the meaning of medical terms quite readily, uh, and I think that they uh, can learn a lot by looking at their own record, and more importantly, if they can pick up errors and call out the physician or the hospital and say, by the way, I'm not on that medication, you've got to change it, that's that's very much to their advantage. I, I think uh, the, and they can, again, do that through the portal access. The other thing you can do, they can do when, in, in an office visit when they're talking to the doctor's back, unfortunately, and the doctor's looking at the computer screen, not at them, is they can ask the doctor if uh, they could take a look uh, at what he's written or ask him if he could summarize or even read his own findings. And I've noticed that lately uh, a fair number of doctors now will do that automatically. They'll they'll. First of all, they'll tell a patient that, you know, don't be discouraged by the fact that I'm typing when you're talking. I'm listening to you and just have to enter it into the computer. And then after they're done, they'll turn around and say, no, here is what I've written down. This is what I've said. Uh, do I have it right? Does it sound right to you? And if the doctor doesn't volunteer that, I would ask, I encourage the patient 
to ask the doctor to do so. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Troxell. We're at our time boundary. So I'm very appreciative uh, for this overview of the state of uh, EHR use and potential risks and harm. So thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.